0: Chapter 9 today. The first eight chapters of Romans, Paul explained how the world was condemned, what happened at the beginning, and how it continued over um, through today. The, The fact is, we need a Savior. And It doesn't matter if you're Jew or Gentile, we need a Savior. And so we come together today in Jesus' name uh, because we recognize him as the Savior. We also recognize that the Holy Spirit is the one who inspired the Word of God. And so Paul's writings here to us are relevant for the time that he's writing to, the Romans that he was writing to, but it's relevant to us today. It still applies to us, and all the scriptures do. So when we consider the desperate situation mankind's in, we come to the conclusion the solution to solve the spiritual problem is not going to be a worldly solution. Besides that, the world has been trying to solve problems for thousands of years. And look at how wonderful everything is. (laughs) You know, so you can tell they've had their chance. But they're doubling down on stupidity. They're doubling down on their uh, plans to change things. And we're seeing that happen very quickly in our own country. We see it happening in other parts of the world. And we recognize something is wrong. And it's because we don't have a godly solution to the spiritual problem that is impacting our world today. And so if we try to fix things using, you know, that's like trying to fix a window with a hammer. (laughs) Probably not the best thing to use on a glass window. Although I've tried it before and found out the hard way, it's just not how you fix windows. You know, but when we try to apply that to our spiritual lives and try to force worldly solutions to correct spiritual problems, we find that we end up with the same results. Brokenness. And so we recognize that we need Jesus to solve these things. The practical application for Romans chapters 1 through 8 is found in leaving the old life behind and having a new life in Christ. And so when we see people that come up with excuses of why God loves them the way they are, and they are walking opposed to the word of God, and they say, well, I was born this way. If that's the fact then the solution is you need to be born again. That's how you solve the problem. It's not, God, you're just going to have to accept me because this is the way I am. You know, my parents may have to accept me because this is the way I am. They did most of the time. Uh, But... God doesn't have to accept us because we're living opposed to him. He accepts us by saying, come, receive my son, receive the gifts, receive the Holy Spirit, and now I'm going to change your life. All we have to do is let him. Um, but a lot of times we're a little stubborn in allowing him to do that. As we continue our study with Romans in chapter 9, uh, Paul takes a detour. He's going to address uh, the nation of Israel now. In the next three chapters, he's going to be discussing Israel in three different aspects of Israel, and the uh, the first we 're going to start off with the election of Israel, who they are and how they got to where they are, but also what they're missing as being uh, the children of God. what he 's addressing just isn 't for Israel though it 's also for us. Unfortunately, there are people that believe that the church has replaced Israel as being the children of God, the chosen people of God. The church is now replacing them. That's called replacement theology. It's a new teaching in the church, although it's been used for hundreds of years in different ways. It was never really widely accepted. But now, just like anything else, It's being widely accepted in the church. And there are many churches that support the idea of replacement theology. But it doesn't fit in the scriptures. The scriptures tell us that's not what it's about. And that's part of what we're going to see here in chapter 9. So the next three chapters is going to explain why that teaching, replacement theology, is not in line with what Paul is teaching, what the Holy Spirit is telling us through the scriptures. He's going to remind us what the Old Testament says. The Old Testament prophets wrote, About the nation of Israel. He's going to remind us in the scriptures. So that we get a bigger picture. Of what actually is going on. This is important. Because he is defending. The character of God. In these scriptures. And it's not that God needs a defense. God is supreme. He doesn't need a defense, but Paul, in his love for people, in his love for his nation, he wants to provide an explanation to them, giving them insight into what they were missing as a church, as a group of people that are supposed to be living for God. He wants to pour into them and open their eyes as his eyes have been opened. We know that Paul was a Pharisee that was persecuting the church until Jesus interrupted his trip to Damascus and made him realize You're doing the wrong thing. That's not something that I would want you to do. Although he fully believed what he was doing was for God. He fully believed it in his heart. But he came to understand how misguided he was. So he's now going to address this line of thinking. Uh, How can we place our trust in God if he's going to break his promises? He's going to address that. How can we believe that God chose the nation of Israel, but then turned his back on the nation of Israel? That isn't a God that I would want to follow. That means at any given time, he can turn his back on me. If he made a promise to me, and then say, well, I'm God, I can do what I want. Unfortunately, a lot of people believe that out there. They also believe that they're not good enough to get into heaven. Well, at least they're correct on one thing. No one is good enough to get into heaven. And so that's why God made a way. So today's message is titled, Elect Does Not Mean Exempt. As we resume our study through the book of Romans in chapter 9, we're going to pick it up in verse 1, where we read, I tell the truth in Christ. I am not lying, my conscience also bearing me witness in the Holy Spirit, that I have great sorrow and continual grief in my heart. For I could wish that I myself were cursed from Christ for my brethren, my countrymen according to the flesh, who are Israelites, to whom pertain the adoption, the glory, the covenants, The giving of the law, the service of God, and the promises of whom are the fathers and from whom, according to the flesh, Christ came, who is over all the eternally blessed God. Amen. And so here Paul starts out telling us how his heart was breaking for his Jewish friends, for the Israelites that he had grown up with, for those people that are supposed to be devout followers of God, but they missed the point where God came into contact with human beings, the Messiah. Now they believed that there was going to be a Messiah, They just didn't believe he was going to look like Jesus. They believed he was going to be different. They believed he was going to come and conquer all the enemies of the Jews and then establish himself king over all. Well, I got good news. He is king over all. And he's going to come and establish that kingdom. But in the meantime, where Preparing for that day, for his return, when he's going to make all of that happen. And I believe that it's very close. We're seeing prophecy being fulfilled so that we can recognize the days that we're living in. Is that important? Well, since almost 30% of the Bible is prophecy, should we just throw it out? Oh, we're not going to talk about that. We don't want to talk about prophecy because, ah, people get it wrong, and we don't know, and so we're not going to address those things. Well, why would God put it in the Bible if he didn't want us to read it? As a matter of fact, the book of Revelation is told, it's the only book that says, if you read it, you're blessed. So, I think we should be reading prophecy I think we should trust it. If we didn't have the prophecy of Jesus coming as the Messiah, then how would we know that it was right? But because of the prophecies of Jesus, over 300 of them that he fulfilled in his life, that's why we can be sure that he is the Messiah. Because of the accuracy of those prophecies. And if Jesus fulfilled those prophecies, and then he gave us new prophecies of what we can expect in the future, should we not believe those prophecies? Should we not trust them also? I believe God is going to fulfill every promise he made. He fulfilled every promise he made to Israel. You know who broke those promises? Israel, they broke the promises. uh, God said, you guys, if you listen to me, I'm going to bless you. But if you don't, here's what's going to happen to you. And he gave them a list of things that was going to happen to them, and it did. And then after they were in captivity and being persecuted, then they cry out, oh God, God. Why is this happening? Because you're stupid. That's why. You know, and we can claim that for our own lives. You know the whole name it and claim it thing? That's something we can claim, stupidity. Because there are times in our lives where we do stupid things, and then why is that happening to me? Well, you're doing 95 in a 25, and you tried to take a right turn. And, uh, yeah, the car rolled. Uh, that was stupid. And so I'm not saying any of you have done that. But I know I've tried. Uh, I, you know, I just know that there are times in my life where I have done stupid things because I thought that I could get away with it. Have you ever done that? You don't have to raise your hand. I know that... Almost everyone has done that in one way or another. That's that's your own story. Paul is now remembering who he was before he became a believer in Jesus Christ. And he's crying out, look, you are my brethren, and if I could die and you guys get saved, Moses did the same thing. Remember when he came down from the mountain and they had the idol, and god said i 'm just going to wipe him out and Moses said, "Hold on, no if you 're going to wipe him out, then wipe me out too then then just take me out too and you know for me, if it was that choice, them or me, all right huh they were nice, but um you know and so but paul really shows and demonstrates his love for his brethren but paul also remembers who he was and and what he did before he became a believer in Jesus Christ so the jews they had all the blessings of god yet they denied the messiah the God who saved them. And so, did God make a mistake by choosing the Jews? Well, we're going to continue reading about that. Verse 6 says, But it is not that the word of God has taken no effect, for they are not all Israel who... Are of Israel, nor are they all children, because they are the seed of Abraham. But in Isaac your seed shall be called. That is, those who are the children of the flesh, these are not the children of God, but the children of promise are counted as the seed. For this is the word of promise. At this time I will come, and Sarah shall have a son. And not only this, but when Rebekah also conceived by one man, even by our father Isaac, for the children had not yet been born, nor having done any good or evil, that the purpose of God according to election might stand, not of works, but of him who calls. It was said to her, the older shall serve the younger. As it is written, Jacob I have loved, but Esau I have hated. And so now Paul goes all the way back to Abraham and Isaac and Jacob. He goes back to the founding fathers. Remember, there was no children of Israel at this point. Abraham was not a Jew, but Abraham was the father of the faith. Uh, Where was Israel started? Jacob was renamed Israel. And so it started with Abraham having a son, but he had two sons. He had Ishmael, who was the son of the flesh. You see, him and Sarah, they were old. Can you imagine being 90 and hearing, okay, you're going to have a baby. What? What? No. You know, I I just don't see that happening. Well, you're going to have a child. (laughs) And, you know, so years later, it didn't happen. And Sarah says, well, just take my handmaiden and, you know, go into her, take her as your wife and have a child. And so Ishmael was born. And then God came to them and said, I didn't need any help. (laughs) Okay, maybe I paraphrased a little bit. But God told them, that that wasn't the seed he was planning on using. That Isaac was going to be born of Sarah, and that's where the seed was going to be born. So here, God didn't even address it. He said in Genesis twenty-two two, he said, "Take now your son, your only son," and so. He recognized Isaac as the son of promise. Ishmael was not considered a son of promise. It was a son of the flesh. That was the mistake you made, thinking that you could help me out, and and solve this generational problem. I've already got it figured out. But you know that wasn't the end of it. All, all of them had problems. out Jacob, you know, who was supposed to be, you know, over. His brother Esau, he was going to be first. Well, he was born second, so Esau was the oldest. He got the birthright. And God said, God told Rebecca, no, don't worry about that. You know, Jacob is going to be the one. So she dressed Jacob up, you know, with you know, animal hair and everything, because Isaac was blind at this point, and went in and got the blessing from Isaac through trickery, through, you know, manipulation. sometimes that happens in the church where people who aren't called to do something manipulate their way into a place of doing something it it takes a sensitive spirit and discernment to know when God is calling us into something now first of all God has called all of us into a relationship with Him. All of us. There are no exceptions to that. But then what God does with us after that, that's between us and God. And I didn't know what I was going to, I didn't know I was going to be a pastor when I first became a believer. I thought I was going to be an evangelist. My friends thought I was going to be dead because they want to beat me up for, you know, going around preaching at them the way I was. And um, they probably had good cause. And, And so I didn't know. But then when I finally settled in, it was, all right, God, let me do whatever you want to do with me. So I'll make myself up. And he found all kinds of jobs for me to do. I did just about anything that there was to do and I found that I was blessed by doing it. It didn't matter what it was. And so the calling of being a pastor didn't happen until decades later. But for each of you, it's the same calling that God calls you into a relationship with him. Maybe your calling is to share the good news with your neighbor. Maybe your calling is to be an example at work and just be a light to the darkness that goes on in your world. Maybe your call is to go share with people at Safeway. So go get a cart and go sharing, you know. You could put your Jesus bumper sticker on the front of the car. And go through, you know. There there are many different ways that we can be used by God. Maybe, and here's one of the most effective ways that you can be used by God. This is a secret. So, we don't have to turn off the live stream. Here's the secret. You can pray for people. Because... Prayer is more powerful than anything you can do on your own. The power of prayer is the power to affect change in people's lives, whether it's local or it's on the other side of the world. You can pray for leaders. You know, a lot of times we watch our leaders on TV and we're praying all right. We're praying a bolt of lightning comes down. You know, uh, that's not exactly the prayers that I'm trying to uh, encourage you to pray. You know, the prayers that we can be praying can change people's lives. I'm not saying that. Well, Lord, I prayed for them over and over, and there is no change. You may not see the change. You may not even realize that change before you leave this earth. But it's all about planting and watering. The harvest is from the Lord. We're not supposed to plant water and harvest in the same day. Although some of us try. That's not our job. And so, here the nation of Israel is very Um, troubled, because they recognize themselves as the children of God. They don't recognize the children of the flesh, although they should, because everyone was invited to believe in God. Everyone. And so there were people that Believed in God by faith, but they didn't follow the rules of the Jews. They didn't follow the regulations of the law. And so the Jews said, no, they're not one of us. But they believed in God by faith. They trusted in the living God. That's more important than following a bunch of rules. So the word of God had great effect even outside of the nation of Israel, and Paul is using a play on words here. Israel means governed by God. And so, if you look at that, we are Israel. We're governed by God. We're not Jews, but we are Israel. We are children of the living God. And so, that's good news for us. And uh, you know, you know, it's not good, the Jews, they don't want to hear that, you know, because they're still caught up in their rules and regulations. They want to do those things. They, they don't want to, you know, do things the way the church does things. We do things by faith. There, there aren't enough rules to live by faith. Seems pretty harsh that God hated Esau before he was born. You know, and sometimes we have a problem with that. You know, how could God hate Esau, but he loved Jacob, you know, and how could he do that? Well, see, I don't know, because I'm not God. I probably would have hated them both. (laughs) So, you know, I, I just want to get this right, but the reality is, We don't know. We don't understand. But God can see people's lives the whole life before they're born. And so he knows what they're going to... Like Pharaoh, he knew what Pharaoh was going to be like. And he used Pharaoh's disposition to affect his plan and to work out his plan. Remember, it says that God hardened his heart ten times. But what a lot of people forget is that it said that Pharaoh hardened his own heart ten times before God said he hardened his heart. That's because God was just confirming the hardened heart of Pharaoh. He was confirming what Pharaoh had already set in his heart so a woman shared with Charles Spurgeon once that she could not understand why God said that he hated Esau and Spurgeon replied that is not my difficulty madam my trouble is understanding how God could have loved Jacob insert name here because we don't. We aren't deserving of the love of God. It's the same for us. We don't deserve it. We're not perfect. We're not good enough. But He loves us anyway. And so, when we look at things in that light, it changes our aspect of who God is, how God loves. Also, whenever we see someone out on the street, we can know immediately that God loves them regardless of the condition of their physical structure. Regardless of what they're doing in their lives, God still loves them. God loved Paul when he was Saul when he was killing Christians, he loved them so much that he saved them. And then he had them right one-third of the New Testament. You know? So, uh, we don't see things the way God does. And so we just have to trust that what he's doing is right. What shall we say then? Is there unrighteousness with God? Certainly not. For He says to Moses, I will have mercy on whomever I will have mercy, and I will have compassion on whomever I will have compassion. And so then it is not of him who wills, nor of him who runs, but of God who shows mercy. For the scripture says to the Pharaoh, for this purpose I have raised you up, that I might show my power in you, and that my name may be declared in all the earth. Therefore he has mercy on whom he wills, and whom he wills he hardens. And you, say, you will say to me then, why does he still find fault? For who has resisted his will? But indeed, O oh man, who are you to reply against God? Will the thing formed say to him who formed it, why have you made me like this? Does not the potter have power over the clay from the same lump to make one vessel for honor and another for dishonor? What if God, wanting to show his wrath and to make his power known, endured with much long-suffering the vessels of wrath prepared for destruction, and that he might make known the riches of his glory on the vessels of mercy, which he has prepared beforehand for glory. Even us, whom he called, not of the Jews only, but also of the Gentiles. Wow, that's good news. We are called, and he wants to bestow his mercy on us to glorify himself. He wants to show his grace in our lives so others can see it. Can we see his wrath in people's lives? Not so much. Really, we're seeing the wrath of man more than we're seeing the wrath of God. We just see ignorance in people's lives. We see pride in people's lives. We see people who live according to themselves, that are proud of that. Pharaoh was a great example of this. Proud guy. And just living proudly. The whole world bowed to Pharaoh. And God gave him chances. Hey, listen. But what was he doing? He was using his wise men, his magicians, to duplicate some of the very things that God was doing to show oh do you think that's good well I can do I can do that watch my guys they can do this too and so he was almost putting himself at the level of God saying I I can do these things too but we can sometimes do that too When we judge someone wrongly. When we decide that someone doesn't do things the way we expect them to. Someone doesn't do things my way or God's way. Well, God's way according to what I think God should be doing. Quite often, we make judgments on people that are still in their second grade of their spiritual lives, they haven't graduated yet to becoming perfect like we are. (laughs) You know, they're still working on it. And, And so we judge them as, oh, you know what, you've got this wrong. You know, you shouldn't be doing this. You shouldn't be doing that. The reality of that is that we can't judge them because we don't know what God is working on in their lives. And we have to allow God to do the work. What we can do is pray for them. We can pray that, you know, if there's something that isn't right, pray that God would reveal that to them so that they can make a change. Remember how uh, the disciples were like, hold on, there are people casting out demons and healing people in your name, and we don't know who they are. We don't have their names. They don't have an ordination certificate. They didn't go to our university. You know, what are they doing? They're out there. Remember Jesus' response? Those who are not against us are for us. And it's like, hold on. But they don't do the same things we're doing. They don't worship the same way we worship. And I really have to stop and pause and say, okay, God, where? how do I extend that type of grace in my own life? How do I recognize that people are not all at the same level at the same time? As a pastor, this is easier to see. Because I deal with so many people, not just this church, but I know people from many churches. And I interact with people from all over the valley that are Christians. And I look and I say okay, they're not doing this the way I would do it, but does that mean they're wrong? So I'm not going to adopt their ways. They can continue on doing what they're going to do. But if the Holy Spirit is leading me to do this, this is what I'm going to do. And that's how come there are different churches that do different things. If you are inclined to go bark like a dog and roll in the aisles, there are churches for you. It's not this one, though. And, uh, you know, I, I, I've been to churches like that. I got fleas. And, and so I just know that God has a plan for our church, you know, for, for our fellowship, For our group of brothers and sisters. When we get to heaven. We're going to see all these people up there. You know who we're not going to see? We're not going to see people that never received Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior. They won't be there. But everyone that is there. Will be someone who at some time. We're going to say. I remember seeing you. You made it? We're not going to say that. We may think it, but we're not going to say that. (laughs) Have you ever felt like you were one of those vessels that were created for dishonor? You know, sometimes I've felt that way in my life. Like, I, I just, you know, feel that way, Lord. Sometimes... We have to go through some stuff in our lives so that God can show his power and his glory in our lives. We have to go through the struggle so that not only other people can see the struggle that we've gone through and the work that God has done in our lives, but that we can see it. That it builds our faith that it restores our hope, and that it strengthens us as we walk with Him. And so then the next thing that comes along, it doesn't knock us down as hard. It may take the wind out of us, but we stand and we continue on. And that's how God does things. There's nothing that happens to us that doesn't happen to the people in the world the only thing I don't understand is how do they deal with it how do they live through those struggles how do they endure without God without having a hope that goes beyond this world we can rest assured nothing is happening to us that doesn't happen to those other people verse 22 what if God wanting to show his wrath and to make his power known endured oh I read that (laughs) okay 25 and he says also in Hosea I will call them my people who were not my people and her beloved who was not beloved folks that's us we aren't Jews unless you are and then you're exempt uh and it shall come to pass in the place where it was said to them, You are not my people, that they shall be called sons of the living God. That's good news for us. We're, we're right there. Isaiah also cries out concerning Israel. Though the number of the children of Israel be as the sands of the sea, the remnant will be saved. For he will finish the work and cut it short in righteousness, because the Lord will make a short work upon the earth. And Isaiah said before, Unless the Lord of the Sabbath left us a seed, we would have become like Sodom, and we would have been made like Gomorrah. What shall we say then? That the Gentiles who do not pursue righteousness or did not pursue righteousness have attained to righteousness? Even the righteousness of faith? But Israel pursuing the law of righteousness has not attained to the law of righteousness. Why? Because they did not seek it by faith. But as it were, by the works of the law. For they stumbled at that stumbling stone. As it is written, Behold, I lay in Zion a stumbling stone and rock of offense. And whoever believes on him will not be put to shame. And so, that rock of offense is Jesus. And that stone was there for the Jews to trip over. And boy, did they trip over it. You see, they didn't attain righteousness because they were trying to do it through the law. By obedience to the law, they believed they attained righteousness. For us, who don't attain righteousness through the law, but by faith, we receive righteousness, the righteousness of God. But does that mean that the law is separate from us? Well, no. We fulfill the law not righteously or rigorously to do the law to attain righteousness. The law is a byproduct of our faith. So when we, by faith, live by the law... Not saying the Ten Commandments, but all the law, all the scriptures. When we live by that, all all of the scriptures can be summed up in two commandments. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, mind, and soul. And love your neighbor as yourself. And all the law is wrapped up into those two. Because we're not going to lie, cheat, steal, murder our neighbor when we are living for the Lord. And when we're living for the Lord, we're going to put him before everything else in our lives. And so if we do those two things, we're fulfilling the law, but it's not just for the sake of righteousness that we're fulfilling the law we're doing it as a byproduct of our faith and who Jesus is and so we live for him and then we fulfill the righteous requirement of faith and then the law all wrapped up in that it's how God created things it's his will for us To do it that way, we close with this question, where do we place our faith? Israel are the chosen people, but a majority of the Jews have ignored the call of God on their own life. They would rather obey rules and laws rather than obeying God and rather than believing in what he told them. That's a reminder for us. Elect does not mean exempt. We may be the elect, but that does not make us exempt from his scriptures. If we place our faith in the finished work of Jesus on the cross, and we become the living children or children of the living God. And that's who we are today, preparing and waiting for his imminent return We're not exempt from the teachings of Jesus and the scriptures, but we apply them to our lives daily. And so since we aren't exempt, and since we're applying them daily, uh, then we become sensitive to the move of the Holy Spirit in our lives and we become more aware of how we can be used to impact the world around us. Amen?